Talks go on. At this hour, the union leaders are conferring with their constituent assemblies. Reputed mafia enforcer John DeGilio, convicted in New Jersey. The 1975 tax cuts may be extended for another year. FFL-CIO leaders charge in Chicago. The Ford administration's optimistic economic forecasts are built on false hope. And that, friends, is the 9 o'clock edition of the news. This is John Scott. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news tonight at 11 over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. And now Gene Shepard coming up next on WOR New York. Underway, those of you who are interested in the advancing technology of our time and in the vastly creative mind of man, we would like to salute the Frigidaire people and General Motors, according to a full-page ad which I have in front of me here. I'm filing this, uh, if you don't mind, Al, with my vast pile of trivia so that the people 5,000 years from now will know how it really was to be alive in our time. Okay? Right. Uh, Frigidaire, uh, the headline of the ad, it's in beautiful four colors, you can see. Uh, the headline reads, uh, Frigidaire and General Motors present the first refrigerator that talks back. Uh, we are filing this under things you never knew you needed and things that you were always afraid would finally be invented. Uh, Frigidaire presents the first refrigerator that talks back. And I'm reading to you the copy, and it's beautiful, effusive copy. It says, we've added an unusual accessory to our three-door refrigerator, a portable AM, FM radio cassette tape player and recorder that fits neatly into the top of the freezer door and can also be fixed up so that it switches off and on when the door is open. We'll call it the Frigidaire Conversation Piece. <laughs> Instead of leaving important messages on notepaper and hoping you'll get they'll get seen, you can record them on tape and you'll be sure they'll be heard. Or also, you'll be able to play your favorite tape music, record recipes, and play them back while you cook. Or learn a language while you bake. Oh, that's kind of a goodie. Yeah, sure, the refrigerator's talking Swahili to you when you're turning out a pineapple upside-down cake. It might even be able to teach an old dog new tricks. And because the radio is in the door, think of the extra counter space you'll save. Yes, it's the refrigerator that talks back. I can just see this thing at work. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And Charlie Bullard who's been on a diet now for the past three and a half weeks, slowly creeps out of his sack at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody sees him. He goes downstairs into the kitchen. It's pitch black. 
And he's thinking more and more excitedly every second of that fantastic meatloaf that is resting there on the second shelf. That cold meatloaf, which would do so great on a big slice of rye bread with possibly a little mustard and maybe a little dollop of uh, piccalilli, maybe even a slice of Bermuda onion. He reaches for the refrigerator door. He swings it open quietly and... Out comes the music. Rolling out, which his wife has tastefully recorded. Oh, and a voice then says, All right, fatty. All right, fatty. Lay off the meatloaf, fatty. Thank you, thank you. That's all right, Al. I'll get that. That's all right, Al. I'll say one thing. You're going to be replaced one day by a refrigerator that talks back. Never makes a mistake. Never. You swing the door open on that refrigerator, and it's going to sing, man. You know, I'll tell you, man's desire to construct cockamamie things knows nobody. Can you imagine what would happen if man turned his creative abilities, uh, which he shows in things like this, to useful channels? Do you realize the great, vast problems we could solve in this world if man sat around and thought as hard about, uh, say, such things as uh, getting rid of the cockroaches in the world? And I, I might say that uh, if had man applied himself uh, the way he did with the refrigerator there that talks... You know, speaking of that, I, I, I know how the mind works. No, I know, no, 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 wait. Uh, I know how the, 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 let's say, the electronic creative engineering mind works. Because at one time, I was heavily into this stuff. And uh, I, I was a kid, and I just started to, to fool around with electronics. How many of you ever fooled around with electronics when you were a kid? Oh, come on. Now. Every engineer I ever knew was born uh, with, with, a, with a circuit diagram of a coal pit oscillator in his right hand and a soldering iron in his left, or often the reverse, depending on whether he was left-handed or right-handed. Born with a soldering iron in your hand. And, uh, <laughs> oh, listen, man, I want to tell you, one time, one time, you talk about soldering irons. I don't know whether any of you have ever had any experience with a soldering iron trauma, but uh, I had two fantastic experiences with a soldering iron. And I, I might as well tell you right here now and, now and then, uh, uh, you, you run into things at times which uh, give you a slight inkling, just a slight inkling, as to the danger and the possible destruction that the human mind is capable of if it's ever allowed to run rampant. Now, we, we sit here and we talk about man invented the, the atomic bomb and he invented the helium bomb and the plutonium bomb and the sea bomb and all the rest of the bombs. And we tend to think that it's some other thing that did it. It's the mind of man that did it. You think that you're not guilty? Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, look carefully into your gut once and just admit what you can do. I, I, I was about... Well, one of the great gifts that I ever received uh, as a kid, and this has nothing to do with nostalgia, it has to do with how your life can turn as a fulcrum on one event. Now, I, I don't know whether you can remember as a kid great birthday gifts that you received. 
Can you ask, do you remember any of the gifts you got for as a birthday gift? Yeah, sure. I think most of us can because that's a big moment. And, and you know, the curious thing about it is that we can probably remember the earlier gifts when we were really kids, like, uh, you know, 10 or 12, much clearer than, say, when we were 17 or 18. Because when you're 10 or 12, getting a gift is a real, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a thing that, uh, you know, it's, a, it's the talk of all the other kids in the neighborhood when you get a gift. But I doubt whether you're, when you're 17, you run out and tell everybody down at the McDonald's about this great, uh, you know, this great pair of Argyle socks you got. I doubt it. But when you're 10, you tend to do that. Well, anyway, I was, I was about, let's see, I was 11, as a matter of fact, actually 11. Now, that's a crucial moment. You're not yet a little kid. You, 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 you stop being a little kid, right? Uh, and you're not a teenager yet, in which case, uh, when you're a teenager, you know, your glands are, are uh, causing you to do other things. Your glands tend to, tend to uh, flower after you're about 12. You agree with that? Uh, that's a biological, physiological fact. Nothing to do with philosophy. Uh, it'll happen whether you like it or not. Now, uh, just before that time, though, you're 11. Now, uh, when you're 11, <laughs> I, I had this birthday, see? And, uh, yeah, you usually get uh, sort of uh, cockamamie things for your birthday. Sometimes you get the stuff that's too young for you. Sometimes you get stuff that's too old for you when you're 11. That's a touchy time. It's too, it's almost impossible uh, to give a three-year-old kid something that's too young for him. That's almost impossible. Possibly with the exception of a teething ring, <laughs> you know, which uh, very few kids appreciate for as a gift anyway. But uh, nevertheless, at 11, I, I, was a, I was, you know, just an ordinary kid, and I got a lot of stuff, uh, as you do for, for your birthday. And this Uncle Tom that I had, I actually had a real Uncle Tom. Uh, and people called him Uncle Tom. Of course, today, if anyone was called Uncle Tom, he'd probably be driven out of town with feathers all over him. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, his, his name was Uncle Tom, as far as I knew. So uh, Uncle Tom comes over. It's my birthday. And uh, he came over that weekend. And uh, he had this package. And he says, this is a happy birthday. And he lays this gift on me. Well, I opened up the gift frantically, as a kid always does, and I couldn't believe what I had been given as a gift. A fantastically creative gift. I was given a magnificent soldering iron. An electric soldering iron. Now, that takes, that takes imagination on the part of a guy to give a kid a gift like that. Plus, you know, not only plus the fact what, that I, he, he knew, you know, I was into building radios. Uh, and, and uh, you know, this was kind of a family legend because all my, my other cousins, who were almost the identical age, went into various other hobbies. One of them went into drinking. Uh, another one into, went into a hobby. If he tried to, at the age of 12 or 13, yes, he made a valiant attempt to learn the interior decoration of every police station within a two-mile radius of where he lived. And uh, he, he was able to do it. Uh, and uh, he, <laughs> I wonder what he thinks these days when he sees Adam 12. But uh, he, was, <laughs> he was often kicking and screaming into the 12th precinct station for various things. So I had different cousins. Now, my cousin Eileen, for example, she had established, by the time she was 12 or 13, she had established two major Chicago records for time spent in the bathroom, uh, unbroken time. That's, uh, that is uh, unrelieved time when other people were allowed to come in. She, she spent upwards of 7, 8, 9, 15 hours at a stretch. Yes, in the bathroom. 
What's she doing in the bathroom? Well, she, she just was in the bathroom. Hard to say. She messed with her hair. Uh, she looked in the mirror. She messed with her hair, looked in the mirror, uh, made her nails up, looked in the mirror again, pulled around, painted her toes. You know, the whole, you know, the whole, the, the whole sickening shtick. But uh, nevertheless, uh, that, those were the hobbies that were understood in my family. The hobby which I had selected, which actually probably a higher providence had selected for me, I do not think a man selects his hobby. I believe that a hobby selects a man. Uh, in other words, a big finger points down from some, some ephemeral cloud and says, Thou shalt be a skiing nut. And uh, he'll turn into that. <laughs> he had no fight. No, and, and you, have you ever tried to talk sense to a person who is completely involved in this hobby? He cannot actually tell you why he likes to slide up and down hills on sticks. He can't. He gets mystical right away. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a thing that uh, once experienced, one can never uh, ever become earthbound once again, you know. And you say, well, no, I don't know. Tell me that again. Let's start from the top. And his eyes get all misty, and he says, uh, "It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's just something that uh, that uh, is like nothing else that I know of in this life." And you say, "Well, why? What do you mean? You're sliding up and down the hills on a stick?" And he says, "Well, you'll never understand." That's true. Once providence has singled you out to be a cuckoo, you are a cuckoo. And nobody else who is not a cuckoo will ever understand it, right? It's fanaticism. Which reminds me, this is W.O.R., New York. And uh, <laughs> what are we fanatical about here? Well, I'll tell you. Commercial time. Nineteen forty-three. The cheers for the Third Reich are fading memories. Bombs are falling on Berlin. All over Europe, the Germans are pulling back. Then Adolf Hitler personally orders an operation so daring it could alter the course of the war in one single stroke. Kidnap or kill Winston Churchill. Not since Day of the Jackal has there been a book with such tension, suspense, and high drama. The Eagle Has Landed by Jack Higgins weaves fact and fiction into a tingling thriller. In the air. On the sea. Up to Churchill's door they fought. The idealistic Nazi paratrooper, the aristocratic English widow with a Nazi code name, the IRA gunman whose first mistake was falling in love. The Eagle Has Landed by Jack Higgins, the big thriller from Holt, Reinhardt, and Winston. The Eagle Has Landed, now at book and department stores. Someday you won't. Someday you won't. I say, sooner or later, you won't, General. Oh, wowee. For 60 years, General Tire has been building long mileage tires, and now the 40,000-mile dual steel tube radio. It started with a road-hugging radio ply body, and then two strong steel belts are built around the body for long mileage, for puncture protection. You'll be surprised at what radial tire performance can do for your car. You'll be able to stay on a road now for change. So check your yellow pages for the General Tire headquarters nearest you and sing it out proudly when you march into that sacred place. General later, you long general. <laughs> the mother of us all. I say, sooner or later, you long general. But um. Uh, 
In its current issue, TV Guide magazine looks at what may be the second most agonizing job in the White House, press secretary to the president. White House alumnus Herb Klein describes that rugged life from first-hand experience. In the same issue, a look at a new phenomenon called four-walling. Someone found that if you took a low-budget movie, pumped an inordinate amount of money into television advertising, chances are you could gross millions of dollars. A look at how some movie promoters use carny come-ons to fill the house. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Mike Douglas. Thanks to videotape, mistakes have all but disappeared from television, but on the Mike Douglas show, blunders, planned and unplanned, always make the air. The Mishaps of Mike in TV Guide, America's biggest-selling magazine, on sale everywhere. Somebody started something like this, Roger. That's right, Jack. We're here with the press and bond stores, where Bonds has just announced a new concept in a self-help program for the city. All right, the idea is very simple. If Washington can't come through, if Albany is hesitant, then at least we who do business in New York can help those people who help us be the city we are. Believing the New York City municipal employee shouldn't take the brunt of our budget crisis. And he sure shouldn't. Bonds will give each and every city employee a 10% discount to help cut his cost of living right now. Right, and if other retailers take up this banner, then all of us will benefit by helping those who help us, like the policemen and firemen, the teachers, the sanitation men, the hospital employees. All those municipal employees who work for the biggest and still greatest city in America. So any one of you, if you come to any one of Bond's 21 stores in this area anytime this month and show your city employee identification card, you'll get 10% off everything and anything you buy, right through the end of July. You help us, so we'll help you, a kind of mutual assistance cooperative. Right, at Bond's we're going to call it Little Mac. <laughs> Oh, okay, let's see here. If you're into elephants, uh, here's an elephant thing here. Uh, <laughs> an elephant thing. Uh, it's a book. It's called Among the Elephants, and it's gotten a lot of great reviews. In fact, uh, it was written by Ian and Oria Douglas Hamilton, and they were out in the jungles of East Africa. And by the way, they have some wild jungles out there. And uh, I, I was there, so I know. Nevertheless, uh, they did a great book on elephants, and it's supposed to be a classic in its field, and it's called Among the Elephants. And it has uh, fantastic photographs and all kinds of, a uh, lot of information about elephants, which are a rapidly disappearing species, by the way. And they got some good reviews, like, for example, Superb from the New Republic. And, of course, they've always been ape over elephants anyway. So, nevertheless, uh, this book called Among the Elephants is uh, worthwhile taking a look at. It's published by the Viking Press. The title again, Among the Elephants. Norm Crosby for Gablinger. Hey, if you drink beer, you know how groovy a cold glass of beer tastes when you're respired or just plain dehydrated. But people in my business can't get too obtuse because you can knock yourself right out of the picture. That's why I'm so pleased to be the talk person for Gablinger. Gablinger is a light beer. It's refreshing, and it doesn't float you. Gablinger construed a secret scientific process which blends the finest barley malt, corn, and hops into a great-tasting, low-calorie, low-carbohydrate beer. There's only seven one-thousandths of an ounce in every 12-ounce semi-attractive can or bottle. And that's not a heck of a lot of calories. So when you're thirsty, grab a Gab. It's a satisfying beer that won't make you stumper from abusity. Gablinger, the original light premium beer. Grab a Gab. Grab a couple of Gabs. You'll like it. Forest Brewing Company, New York, New York. Orange, New Jersey, New Bedford, Mass. 
Now, uh, let's get back to that, uh, that sickening story of the, uh, of the uh, let's put it this way, the rampant soldering iron. <laughs> I received the soldering iron. <laughs> that gift, which, which was really creative, I'm telling you have, you. have you ever known of a kid who actually slept with a soldering iron? I loved that soldering iron so much that I didn't want anybody to mess with it. And I actually took it to bed with me. That soldering iron was kept under my pillow, sleeping awake. And it was an electric one. It was a great one, you know. And it had uh, had a nice uh, nice cord on it. And the handle was beautiful. It was like a like a pistol grip, you know, the type. And really nice thing. But it was a, the kind of soldering iron which was used, uh, a very expensive one. It was a good one. It wasn't one of these cockamamie cheapies, you know, made out of plastic that uh, molded plastic. It was a good one. It had a nice wooden handle an expensive soldering iron, and it had an off and on switch that you used with your thumb on the top of the thing. Now, it wasn't the gun-type soldering iron. You know the gun type with the two little electrodes that come out? No, this was a real soldering iron and had five interchangeable tips that could be used for various jobs. These were copper tips. And if you were going to do a big job, you could put this, you know, screw on this big, flat soldering iron head and if you were going to do a very delicate job, it had long needle point heads. And I loved it. I'll tell you, I, I got to the point where, where I was, you know, I'd, I'd take this soldering. Uh, I had a spool of, uh, of solder, rosin core solder. And I was, you know, I would really practice. And to this day, I tell you, one of the few talents that I can honestly point out and say that I have a real talent, I am a magnificent operator of a soldering, soldering iron, both the gun type, the stylus type, and the conventional soldering iron. I, I really love to work a soldering iron. And there's a lot of tricks in doing the, a good soldering job. Most people don't even know about this, you know, preheating the various parts that you're going to solder together, priming the, uh, the, uh, the copper wire or the, the uh, plated wire that you're going to solder. And a lot of people don't know these things. The difference between using an acid core solder and a rosin core solder. What is the difference? What, under what conditions do you use an acid core solder? And under what conditions do you use a rosin core solder? Well, yeah. you've come to an expert here. And so I became really into soldering. I was really into soldering. And I would go, my mother had this rule. So she says, no, she, always, she was always nervous about using the soldering iron. That seems mysterious to a family, you know, a mother and father type, who are used to kids doing things like uh, just uh, throwing balls around, messing around with yo-yos, uh, sitting back of the Sherwin-Williams paint sign eating Twinkies. You know, ordinary kid stuff. A kid that is into soldering seems a little spooky. You agree? You do agree that. Well, I, and I would talk soldering. There were two other uh, kids in our neighborhood that were into soldering, too. And uh, Giza Nemeth was another fellow solderer. And we used to just talk soldering while other kids were talking about the, you know, stuff like the White Sox. Uh, they were talking about the Chicago Bears. I lived in the area where the Chicago Bears were the New York Jets of their area. You see, you've got to understand, we talked about the Bears, not because we were crazy, but because we lived in Chicago. So, <laughs> which is often synonymous, I mean. But uh, nevertheless, we were into soldering. And me and Gaza would solder stuff 
And at any point where I could solder something, I would do it. Like one of the great moments in my life came when I soldered a perfume atomizer back together again for my mother, to her great astonishment. She was pretty astonished. Uh, yeah, the, she had one of these metal-topped, uh, it was a perfume atomizer, screwed on to a glass bottle that was pearl-colored. And it was one of the lights of her life. And she would spray herself with a, something called, did you ever hear of this? Is there such a thing as evening in Paris perfume? You've heard of this? Well, uh, she would spray herself with evening in Paris perfume. And one day, the top of this thing, was, which was metal, it just came off from the top top. In other words, it was a little tube type thing that was on the top of the top. And it just came off one day, right in her hand. And she says, oh, look at what happened to my atomizer, the atomizer that your father gave me for Christmas. Oh, and I said, wait, I'll fix it. And I took the atomizer down into the basement, and I plugged in my soldering iron, which was very exciting. And I, I waited till it heated up, and baby, oh, that thing got hot. It was a 250-watt soldering iron, incidentally. That thing got hot. If you know anything about soldering iron, you know that a 250-watt soldering iron, if given its head, <laughs> could melt its way right through the First National Bank safe. I mean, that gets hotter than the hinges of hell. So I get this thing hot, and I go, and I, I prime it, you know, with a little acid, go, soldered beautifully hot enough to do it just fine not too hot to destroy the delicate atomizer jet at which point I carefully sanded it off with a little carborundum sandpaper and it was even better than new I brought it upstairs and I said here mother is your atomizer she says oh you, 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 you didn't fix that I said yes I did she says wait I'll try it so she put some evening in Paris into her little atomizer. Psst, worked. <laughs> That's one of the greatest feelings in the Indian. I think that that man can know is to fix something that other lesser mortals would throw out. Not only do you fix it, you fix it with a plum and style. You don't tape it together. You fix it. That's that. that and it was an aura began to build around genie. Genie can fix things. Incidentally, this slightly bugged my old man, who up to that point had a very, very heavy reputation in the house for being able to fix things, and I might add, was thoroughly undeserved. <laughs> thoroughly. He just said he could. You know, stuff like, oh, well, what the hell? What do you mean, call a plumber? I'll fix that thing. Of course, two or three minutes later, we're knee-deep in water, and people are running around, and finally the plumber arrives. And he always would maintain the, the myth, you see, that if he had the right wrench, it would have worked. Uh, you know, the guy comes with the right wrench. What are you going to do when you got a pair of pliers? And that's all you got. Uh, he, you know, he'd fake it. Because part of the male myth, you do agree, is, is, is the ability to fix things. Now, this is part of the, the myth that many men have had to live with all of their lives, that men should be able to fix things. You agree that this, is a, this has been imposed on males almost since time immemorial. Well, many men can't. They simply are unable to fix things. And they take one or two courses. Some men wind up wearing tiaras, just like you heard this guy in the commercial there. He winds up wearing tiaras, then he's, of course, excused from fixing things because he's always down at some place with a guy named Dickie, and they don't have to mess around with that stuff. The other men fake it. 
But they'll say things, don't worry, don't worry. And then the next room, you hear, giant blue flash. His arm is blown right off. And we've discovered once again that he doesn't know a damn thing about fuses. But that doesn't stop him from trying again. There is a third and a very much smaller group. And these are the men who really, in fact, and in reality, can fix things. Really can fix things. And you're listening to a born fixer. I, I love to fix things. Now, uh, in, in, in a sense, uh, that is a hobby which is depending itself almost completely upon failure. Uh, one does not get called upon to fix things unless something has broken or has failed. Do you agree? So you're, in a sense, a kind of vulture. You, you like the idea that suddenly uh, somebody reaches up to the lamp, you know, the kind of lamp where the, they pull it down from the ceiling. It's got a little reel in it. And they pull it down. Have you seen that type of lamp? And he reaches up and he goes, and the whole damn thing comes down, including about five feet of zinc-covered uh, wiring. <laughs> and you leap up and say, wait, hold it. Uh, where's your soldering iron? Give me your toolbox. And you have it fixed. You're a hero. Well, the fixing thing syndrome. Uh, I mean, and by the way, I might also add that uh, purely from a technical and a theoretical standpoint. I'm, I'm just from a, nothing to do with morality. I must say that I, as a fixer type, as a man who has spent most of his life messing around with soldering irons, building things, taking things apart, uh, creating various complex electronic pieces of gear, I was appalled at how badly done the Watergate robbery was. You agree? I mean... I don't know anything about these guys, but I do know one thing. They don't know anything about electronics, in spite of the fact they call themselves experts. Some of the stuff they were using was uh, was the kind of stuff that, uh, believe me, you could pick up for $3 at any, <laughs> at any surplus place. And the reason it was surplus was because it was outmoded and rotten in the first place. But anyway, they had all this stuff, and you saw what happened. They didn't even know how to tape a door shut so that uh, it wouldn't be seen. Serious, serious errors there were made by men who pretended they could do something. Look what it's done now. Of course, the whole country is in an uproar, and uh, the continents are crumbling. Uh, the, uh, as they say, the safety of the realm is threatened, and all because there were a couple of fakes in there. Don't try to fake something that's technical, friends, because you may be caught very far off base. Also, you could get a hell of a shock. You agree? So I'm just giving you a word of advice from a guy. <laughs> but uh, uh, you want to hear what happened with the soldering iron? Oh, I'll never forget what happened one time with a soldering iron. It, uh, let's put it this way, caused one of the major rifts that existed in our family and still does in certain lingering dark corners of family relationships. Now, we all have family relationships. Every one of you has got some kind of a family, right? And... Uh, you don't often talk to strangers about your family because there are certain things. It's nothing to do with privacy, really. There are things that are so, in a sense, in and private that uh, you don't even think to talk about them. They're just part of your life. Like, for example, major family squabbles. Now, every family has had one or two battles over something. Uh, that linger on for a long time. Like, for example, my Aunt Teresa was the one in the family who continually, whenever there was a family gathering, you knew it before it was over it was going to break up because she was under the impression 
that my grandmother loved all of the other children more than they loved her. <laughs> and here she was, a grown-up lady with about nine kids. She would wind up leaving this family gathering, screaming at the front door, and it's always been this way. I know what it's been like. None of you want me here. I know that. Ah, come, come, come. Let's go, Fred. And she would take her husband, and out they would go. He looked very embarrassed. The door would slam, and you'd hear, boom, going down the steps. And that was Aunt Teresa. Well, there's no point in talking about that to anybody else. Is there really? No way, no talk. Well, this particular battle, which came up over the soldering iron, I uh, have never even told this story to any of you. I've told plenty of stories, but I've never mentioned this story. Not because I wish to cover up, but because it was so painful at the time for many of the various participants that even at this point I hesitate to bring it out in the open and discuss it because it, I frankly loused up and I know it, I admit it. Two occasions, the soldering iron began to cause a great rift in the family. One occasion came in pursuance of just simple soldering. I was soldering one afternoon on a receiver which I had gotten the plans of from Allied Radio. Now, have you ever seen the, the page in Allied Radio? It says, uh, Plans. Uh, Two-two battery-operated portable receiver, twenty-five cents. You've seen that? Uses one. Yes, a seven-tube super heterodyne receiver. Yes, you can buy plans from Allied Radio. Yes, you can. Oh, yes, indeed. Various projects of things you can build. A uh, push-pull six L six, twenty-five watt class B amplifier. Plans. You can buy them. Now you're looking confused because you don't go to that. You don't read that part of the catalog. But if you're a soldering man, you do. If you're just a guy who goes out and buys hi-fi stereo components, you think that all the rest of the stuff that's attached to the catalog is just a lot of fill. <laughs> well, we true aficionados of the soldering iron look upon the component parts as the most irritating part of the catalog. You don't even look at this junk. You know, where they sell all kinds of photo-developing equipment and jazz like that. Who cares about that stuff, you know? That's for greasy kids. Incidentally, that uh, brings up another point. Uh, uh, catalogs are read in segments by people. Some people never look beyond uh, uh, the radio section that sells the car radios where A-track stereos, and that's it. But I love the section where you could buy plans for stuff. All right? And I was building a two-tube receiver with multi-purpose tubes. It was a super-regenerative receiver, that was supposed to be able to pick up, and I was winding the coils and working. It was a big project. It was a super regenerative receiver that uh, was a shortwave plugging coil receiver, which I got the plans from Allied for 25 cents. And it came also with parts lists, a whole bit. So, on this Saturday afternoon, I am hunched over the kitchen table with my 250-watt soldering iron, with the fine tips on it. And I am soldering the bottom. I'm, I'm putting in some resistors. In fact, if you're curious, it was a 500,000-ohm resistor. Do you know the resistor color code charts? Of course you do. 500,000-ohm. What's the body of a 500,000-ohm resistor? Gray, of course. And what's the end? What's the end? Correct them all. And what's the dot? Very good. How about a 2,000-ohm resistor? Quick, 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 quick. 
<laughs> All right. Two is red, for starters. All right, we won't even bother with you on that. Now, see, this is the esoteric information that uh, that we that we truly creative uh, soldering iron types get into our head. Now, it's, I had never publicly discussed the resistor color code with anybody outside of uh, Schwartz and Geza Nemeth, <laughs> my friends, who were deeply into this thing at the time. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, have you ever taken out, uh, have you ever looked at the bottom of a radio or a television set, any of you, and you saw all those things in there, what looks like a great big mess of little things, all with wires coming out of the end? Well, most of those little things, as you call them, are resistors. And you've noticed that they're different colors. You've noticed reds and greens and blues and yellows and purples, and that these are all actual colors that I'm calling upon, browns and blacks and so forth. Well, those are coded. That's a code. Those colors are not just in there. Gee, let's put a red one in here, Fred. I think it would make this uh, corner back here by the trans transformer look kind of nice. Put a little red one. Put a little yellow one in there. <laughs> those are codes. And they refer to the ohms, or the resistance value of the condensers. Uh, or the resistors, excuse me, of the resistors. And the code is a three-part code. It consists of the body of the resistor, and there's the end of the resistor, which is colored, and a dot, which is placed on the body. And uh, if you know how to read these, you can sit there for hours and just read resistor codes. And I've done it. It also pertains to condensers, you know, the dot code, right? So, uh, nevertheless, I'm deeply into this thing. I'm hanging over this this uh, cadmium-plated chassis that I am soldering. I had an octal-tool base, a low a low-loss isolantate octal-tool base, which was one of my pride and joys, which I had bought at Ally, very expensive. Now, I know this show is boring to many of you because you're not into this, but to any guy who has ever wound a coil, to any guy who has ever... Uh, carefully soldered in a, a, an RF choke, lits wound <laughs> on an isolantite, uh, uh, an isolantite body. It's a careful soldering job because you can ruin a lits wound RF choke, a 2.5 micro Henry choke. You can wreck that in, in milliseconds. Correct. So this is a work of an artist, and I'm and this nothing to do with building a heath kit either. Might add, I'm working from scratch. So I'm hanging over this cadmium-plated chassis. The bottom was up, and I'm carefully soldering this, this uh, I believe it was a 2,500-ohm resistor into the cathode circuit of this 6SJ7GT, the bottom of the socket. See, I'm careful, and I've got this iron hot, and I've heated up the lug, Shh, and that smell, that exciting, heady, uh, erotic Almost a sexual smell of burning rosin, which is a smell that all uh, soldering iron men know. You know that exciting smell of rosin burning? That means things are happening and you're working on it. And this little thin thread of blue smoke as the rosin burns. And boy, that 2,500-ohm resistor goes in there beautiful. I snip it off with my with my, uh, with my my alligator. You know, that, that I twist the, the, the lead, and then I take my, my little wire cutters and... I snip it off neat, and I make sure that the chassis is clean. I'm working away there, and I'm I'm really working hard on this thing. Completely involved. Now, that's the point. Involvement. 
It's like a man who is doing a vast mosaic. You get involved. When all of a sudden the air was rent with this fantastic scream. What are you doing? My mother. I turn around, and there's my mother standing in the doorway with her eyeballs bugging out. She comes rushing in. Look what you've done. I had done it. In soldering, the, the wasted solder, you know, when you're soldering away and solder drips down, well, it had dripped down through the various openings in my cadmium-plated chassis and had completely covered, I'd say, about four square inches of her brand-new oil cloth, tablecloth, for the table on which I was working. Now... It sounds small, doesn't it? Some things, it's, 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 it's the thing that breaks the camel's back. First, remember, it was considered unnatural for me to be doing this all the time when all the other kids were out hanging around back at a Sherwin Williams paint sign eating Twinkies, you know, busting in garages and getting arrested like ordinary kids. Here I was, soldering. And I had burnt holes... I'd say maybe 40 or 50 holes in her brand new oil cloth tablecloth. Well, okay. This went on for about two days, this giant fit. And the old man is laughing. So he just says, oh, come on, what the hell, you know. <laughs> come on, go easy on a kid. What the hell, he's not hurting anybody. Put my tablecloth. Well, he's not hurting anybody. One week later, one week later, it happened. I had been given strict orders never to work on the kitchen table again, ever. Don't you get near the kitchen table. Well, now we had this cupboard, a cupboard with a formica top on it. And I was told if I was going to do any soldering in the kitchen, I had to do it on this formica top cupboard. Nowhere else. Well, that was kind of handy because we had a plug on the wall there, which we plugged in the, the uh, toaster and all that stuff. So I had plugged this thing in. I'm working away one day. And i deeply involved. This was one night. I'm working away at night. I finally says, well, I'm going to leave my chassis right here, see, because I don't want to touch it, because tomorrow morning I'm going to finish it. And it was stuck all right, right by the cupboard where the bread box was and all that. And my mother said I could leave this here, so I went to bed. All excited because I was going to get up the next morning, which was Saturday, and finish this amplifier I was building out at this point. Now I will need a little echo chamber, Al. I'm soundly asleep in my sack. My kid brother's asleep. My mother's asleep in the next room. My old man is out on his bowling night. It's a Friday night. It's bowling night. It was around 2 o'clock in the morning when all of a sudden there is a sound which practically turned my mother gray overnight. Caused the dog next door to bark for four or five years straight after that. Just the sound of one. Oh! What the hell is this? Oh! 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 Oh, oh my oh, God! My God! lights went on. I had left my soldering iron plugged in, and in the dark, the old man came home and was reaching in the bread box for a loaf of rye bread and grabbed my 250-watt soldering iron. And I want to add this. He, first time in his life, he probably uh, was amazed at what he could do. He leaped straight up in the air, hit his head on a ceiling. He was hit with such an unbelievable pain in the darkness. Well, he took my soldering iron, 
his hand was, you know, we put unguentine all over it. And he said, what the hell is this? That soldering iron, look what you did. My mother kept saying, I told him not to mess with the soldering iron. At that point, forget it with the soldering iron. He took the soldering iron and threw it down the basement steps, all the way down, and it hit the floor down on the basement, which was concrete, and you could hear this crash, pow, you know, busting up the soldering iron. He said, look at that. If you ever, if you ever leave a soldering iron, if you ever do anything like that again, I'm going to kick you within an inch of your life. Look at my... Well... That put an end to a lot of my activities for maybe three or four months. And then I slowly, like all soldering cuckoos, I slowly started to make a comeback. I stealthily bought another soldering iron after saving for six months on my paper roof, and I began to build back that shattered empire that I had until the next disaster, which was the time my old man was on the roof. I don't want to tell you about this. He was on the roof, messing around with the roof. We had leaky shingles. I was downstairs in the basement on the air, and he put his hand on my 600-ohm feeders and got a shot of RF that practically fried the marrow of his bones. So, you know, this gets quite complicated. I don't know. I mean, electronic warfare, friends, is far more serious than chemical warfare and even psychological warfare. This is W.O.R. New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.